Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. So good evening everybody. Uh, my name is Alex. Um, I've been a member of St George's for a wee while. Um, and I'm one of the small group leaders here. Uh, and it's my privilege to start our summer series on real life, real faith. Now today I'm going to be t- sharing with you some of the story of Zachariah. Uh, character who we meet in Luke chapter 1. So before Ellie May comes to bring our reading, uh, let's just pray. Jesus, we just pray that you would um, open our eyes, open our hearts, and fill us with your Holy Spirit to know you deeper and to know you in our doubts. Amen. Wonderful. Good evening, everyone. We are going to be turning to Luke. It's quite a long one. We have got verses 1 to 25, so you might want to grab your Bibles uh, or your phones, uh, and we are going to read this together. So, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first eyewitness and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, who also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both well advanced in years." Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well on in years. 
The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. So now we've heard the word, let's place ourselves within the biblical narrative. So we've just heard from the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke wasn't a direct follower of Jesus in the, in the sense that he wasn't alive when Jesus was in ministry, but he was a follower of, he was a companion of Paul, who we meet later in the New Testament. Now, he would have heard the word spoken over and over, and he would have then written it down. Now, he was a doctor. He was clinical and astute with his work. So why does all that matter? It matters because Luke sums it up in verse 4 perfectly. He says so that you can be certain, so that you can be certain of who the person of Jesus Christ is, so you can be certain of his miracles, so you can be certain of his death, certain of his resurrection, and certain of his hope of eternal life. So now let's think back to the beginning. God created human life out of love for real relationship. But we all know the story of the Garden of Eden. Humans were cast out, and the relationship was broken. Since this time, God has been seeking to restore that relationship. And throughout the Old Testament, God does this through a specific family from a man called Abraham. These people become the people of Israel. Now, these people were meant to be God's own chosen people, a royal priesthood and a holy nation a people who showed his love and desire to restore his relationship with humanity. Israel is, are, are human, and they fail to reflect God's love through them to their world. They don't live up to the standards that God wants them to. They wouldn't make the right sacrifices or follow the right rituals or live in a way that was different to those around them. They broke God's laws and didn't follow his commands. Like There were about 613 commands, which, which is a lot, but that's beside the point. Instead of a people who were reflecting life and love, there were people who reflected death and decreation. Now, at that time in the desert, God would meet in his, met his people in a thing called a tabernacle, or what's called a tent of meeting. It's where his presence and his glory would often dwell in the form of a cloud. It's remembered both in that time and in this time by the burning of incense, which is a funny smell which you can smell hanging around. Now, there were a set, of people, a set group of people called priests, and they were all from the family of Aaron, 
And they would attend the tabernacle all the time, all the time through the Old Testament and right the way up to our passage. Why am I telling you that? Well, in our passage today, followers of Yahweh, followers of God, would still be bringing sacrifices and offerings every day, all in order to be made right with God. It was a time when people didn't know God as intimately as we are privileged to. The Holy Spirit would only come on certain people at certain times for certain things. And the people needed these sacrifices to take away their sin before God. Now, what were a wandering people who wandered through the desert eventually settled. Uh, and they built a temple to copy the tent. So now I want you to think about, just, just take into your mind's eye, there is there's a large outer courtyard and then there's a building with two sections. One of them is called the holy place and one of them is called the most holy place. The most holy place sits within the holy place. Now, each priest had to go into the, like each day a priest had to go into the holy place and make sacrifices. Now there are about 24 orders of priests with many priests in them. And so it was very infrequent that a priest would actually get selected to make the sacrifices for that week. Um, it would be a really special moment in a priest's life. Um, they might only do it once. And it's the moment that we see in our passage. And so Zechariah goes into the holy place and God meets with Zechariah through an angel. It's an amazing experience for Zechariah, but he does have a bizarre response. He doubts. Now, he's not doubting God's existence because I think by now he's probably quite sure of that given the big angel and the lots of like, fear that he's experiencing. He's doubting something deeper. He's doubting God's power and blessing to bring about change in this situation. He doesn't trust that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Now, we ultimately don't get any explanation of why he doubts God's power to work in this situation. Maybe it was his logical mind. I'm too old, he says. Or maybe it was what he'd been told by others. He said, like, it ain't going to happen, mate. Like, you're cursed by God. Or was it that this thing that he had been praying for earnestly for many years just seemed impossible? We don't know. But to understand maybe some of what Zachariah feels as he hears these words, we have to remember that having children in that time, in that place, in that context, or to not have children in that time, place, and context was a source of real shame. It would have been seen for women in that time as, a, as their like, highest calling. And for a man to have no heir, it would, be, would have felt like they, like they as a family, were, were cursed or an unloved, and they would have felt shame from the community. This would have been really sitting on his heart. It might have felt like he was cursed by God. Now, doubt is part of being a follower of Jesus. In 2017, 65% of a group of 888 Americans who were surveyed on God and religion said that they had had doubt as part of their Christian walk. Doubt is a part of real life and real faith. Now, in our modern era, we are a people of doubt. We doubt the weather forecast. We doubt 
when we take public transport if it's going to turn up. We doubt if England are going to win another trophy in the football. I don't know the result. And we doubt if our colleagues are going to do that thing that they said they'd get done last week. Now, we question absolutely everything. Now, this in itself isn't wrong at all. We all doubt, and doubt itself is not bad. In fact, without doubt, will there actually be faith? Let's have a look at faith. Faith, it says in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, sums it up perfectly. It says it is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. It's taking action in what God has made known to us. And God makes himself known through relationship. And we can have confidence in that relationship because we know God's character. It's important to note that all relationships have doubt. That's understandable. We're humans, we're broken, and we make mistakes. But God is God, and he's not going to leave or abandon us because he loves us. And what do we learn about Zachariah's faith? Well, he believed he was righteous and he was obedient, it says in our passage. He would have heard all about who God is and he would have known God's character, his compassion, his mercy, his patience, his unfailing love and his faithfulness. And despite his doubts, he is still a man of faith, just as Elizabeth is a woman of great faith. Now we all respond differently um, to these times of doubt in our lives. So let's see how Zachariah deals with his doubts. What does he do? Now he questions. We see in verse 18, he asks the question, how can I be sure? And he talks through his doubts. They have, a, they have albeit quite a one-sided conversation. Um, and Zachariah doesn't get an answer from God about why. Though he and we may want specific scientific answers to our doubts, God doesn't always reveal them to us. He didn't to Zachariah. Instead, Zachariah gets something better. He simply gets God's presence. Pressing into doubt will lead you deeper into relationship with Jesus through his presence by his Holy Spirit. Jesus, I also think, struggled with doubt. You just have to look what he says in the garden in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus doubts that this is really the way that God is wanting him to go, but he's still obedient. Now, God doesn't give his own son answers to questions in that time, but he sends his presence. We know in the, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, in this uh, similar narrative, that Luke tells of how an angel attended to him at that time. Now, to address any slight fears that are in the room, God will not always send an angel to speak to you, and he probably won't silence you because you questioned him. But I would encourage you to press in and question any doubts that you have. Bring them before God in prayer and ask him to reveal himself to you through them. And then we should act. Action should always follow prayer as prayer should proceed, should go before action. And we can talk to friends, talk to wise followers of Jesus, read, study, and find the answers to your doubts.
But I want to encourage you and say that it's okay to have doubts. And we shouldn't feel any shame or condemnation for having them. But equally, we shouldn't hide or try and pass them off. Now, it's important here to mention that not everybody doubts, or some might have less doubts. And you might have the gift of faith. You might be like, so confident in who God is, on fire for Jesus, and that's amazing. And you just exude that to others. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to to seek out those who do doubt and, and pray with them. It's what the people outside the temple do as Zechariah is in there. They're praying. It's one of the most powerful ways we can support each other in faith and encourage one another. So what does this look like in the real world of today? Well, for me, I've had times of doubt in my faith. When I was a kid growing up in Blackpool, about age 12, um, before I got confirmed, I went for like confirmation classes. It's a very Church of England thing. But my curate at that time gave me a really helpful book. It's called Case for Christ. It's written by a guy called Lee Strobel. They made a film about it. It's, it's basically a, a book that thinks about some of the arguments and, and doubts about the person of who Jesus Christ is and the evidence for his resurrection. It's a really good book that I would recommend reading. And that sort of took some away some of my doubts uh, in that time. But later in my journey, it got tough. I remember when my dad passed away from a really aggressive brain tumor many years ago. I massively questioned God. Where, where was he in this? Why was it happening? Why wasn't that healed? The questions just spiral and spiral at those times. I remember the last time I left that room. As the last time I saw my dad, I heard God speak. And at that time, it didn't dispel my doubts at all, but God met me in those doubts. He met me relationally in them, and his presence was there. And so just as he did with me, as he did with Zachariah, and as he will do with you, he'll meet you in the, that place. So as I've been praying, um, I think God just really wants us to know and come into his presence. Um, so that's what we're going to try and do. Now, you have to bear with me. We're going to try something called um, Ignatian Prayer. It's a prayer method where we use our imagination to come into the biblical story and allow God to speak through us in that. And so, if you will, I'd just like you to change your posture, to stand if you can. you would, I'd love you to put away any distractions that you might have. I'd love you to close your eyes. I want you to ground yourself in where you are. You need to feel the earth beneath your feet. And take a few deep breaths. Now it's a hot day and the sun is beating down on your head. You feel different today for some reason. You said your prayers, but your heart feels heavy today. What are you bringing before God today? You head to the temple. It's your orders turn to go into the holy place today. 
and you're waiting to see who gets selected. It might be you today. It might be your day to come into the presence of God. The lot is drawn and it is your day. The day continues to pass and the sun continues to beat down, but your heaviness is still there. You say more prayers and make sacrifices. It's time for you to enter the temple. You walk through the courtyard. You hear the sand under your feet. And you see the doors to the holy place. You breathe deeply. Push the doors. And enter in. There's a thick smell of incense in the air. The very presence of God himself. You are in the presence of the Lord. How do you feel? Do you doubt that he's there? What is it specifically that you're doubting? If you are anxious, the Lord says, do not worry. God is here. He knows you. He loves you. And he has heard your prayers. He knows your doubts. And he still loves you. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk. Okay.